I'll start again because I just started to get a frog in my throat. <laughs> it's like, of course, because I haven't talked all day. The second you start talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but you really probably excited. haven't been awake for that long. Oh, no, it's five o'clock. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Wrong way. <laughs> Sometimes I forget which way the earth turns. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe you're right. Uh, <clears throat> Welcome to Female of the Species, a podcast for the Sisterhood of Science. This week, we're joined by, oh my god, need you to pronounce your own name so that I don't pronounce it wrong. No, it's okay. Uh, Shana Montaneri. Shana Montaneri. Okay, that's what I was going to go with, but you never know. A paleontologist and science writer who is currently living in Scotland. So welcome, Shana. Thank you. Excited to be on your podcast. Um, Shana and I have been science Twitter friends for a little (laughs) while now, and um, I'm excited to have her on because she's super cool and does lots of really interesting um, science and also outreach. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks. No problem. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. As you said, I am a paleontologist and I'm really interested in kind of tying together modern and past realms, um, specifically animals, but all sorts. So I've studied dinosaurs and mammals and basically interested in how environmental change can impact biodiversity and more specifically at a really basic level diets of certain animals. So I've done this um, with now working on modern mammals, but also mammals from the Paleocene to like 65 million years ago, and also dinosaurs, which I did during my dissertation, uh, Mongolian dinosaurs, looking at um, kind of what their diets were, what kind of environmental signals are reflected in their bones and teeth and eggshells. So the way I do this is actually I primarily use geochemistry. So, that's kind so of you like look at sure. isotopes and bones and teeth to reconstruct diet and habitat and things like that? Yeah, exactly. And I do that, you know, once you know how to do that, you can do it with almost anything you want. So it's kind of a cool thing to learn. So what's your favorite way of treating yourself or taking care of yourself when you get bad professional news? Uh, Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, I mean, I'm pretty good. I don't want to give like an annoying answer, but I think I used to take it really hard, you know, like back in grad school, because I think for for a lot of us growing up, probably overachievers. I don't think that would be wrong to say. Uh Um, And, you know, you always did everything right. And so then kind of when you get to grad school, you know, a little bit before that, I think my first like brush with failure was like 11th grade English class. You know, I took advanced placement English for the first time and my teacher uh, gave me a D on my first essay (laughs) after been, you know, after I've been the best writer ever. Right. But basically, you know, you just never been challenged and no one's really spent the time and helped you get better. And so Mm -hmm. you learn that. And I kind of learned that. But you know, grad school is really tough. And I sometimes I would get really upset and, you know, kind of cry a little bit. But now, you know, I feel like now I've had a lot of success. And so now I can, I mean, that, that's sort of a stupid answer too. you know, and to, the more successful you are, it's easier when things go wrong, because well, you're like, well, okay, at least I've, you know, I've got yeah, it puts it in perspective. Yeah, it puts it in perspective. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I guess, sort of as a bundled message to maybe younger earlier you know I mean I'm an early career researcher but maybe people just starting out like an undergrad or grad school like you feel better as you go on I think about your your future because you realize like you have done a lot and you know mm-hmm. it will get recognized eventually and the more you, tr- you keep trying and trying and something will stick but it does still sting you know sometimes I really thought oh I was really going to get this opportunity and yeah. and I didn't so I kind of like look at the email real quick and I like uh, usually ignore it for a while and then <laughs> you know maybe go go to yoga I mean then 
kind of lying if I act like I'm zen, completely zen about it. I mean, just the other day I had, I gave a talk and someone came up to me after and said something, you know, something that was challenging and, and that's hard, you know, and that's another thing. It's not a failure, but you're like, oh, did I do something wrong or should right, I do something right. differently? Or, Method's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Did I say something wrong? But then, you know, you just have to kind of talk to someone. I, I usually have a couple of, you know, friends that I'm like, that I know will always kind of know what to say. And then I go, okay, you're right. You know, and they always yeah. make you feel, you make you feel better. Totally. I have those friends too. They're really important. Yeah. But you know, as yeah. time goes on, I think I, I get better at, at handling the, the rejection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a couple like big landmark, you know, grants and things in grad school that, you know, all you and all your friends apply for. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. people get them and sometimes they don't. And you, know, you always have that thing there's always like, oh, remember this one great person? They didn't get that grant. And so you always totally. think that, like, yes. you know, we had that, like, in grad school with the, yes. the graduate research fellowship and stuff with the NSF graduate research fellowship, which is, like, such a big landmark. And yeah. I was in a program where, like, everybody had it. Um, I mean, I did end up getting it, but it, it's just there was always a couple of people. They were like, oh, but you know this person. Like, they're a professor at Bobo now. They ne- they couldn't get it. You right, know, so you right, always right, know that right, there's, right. like, it doesn't mean it's not the end of the world. And then yeah. sometimes you hear these stories, like people had failed at things that, you know, that you thought, oh, I'm sure they must have gotten that. And mm-hmm, now they're, mm-hmm. you know, maybe winning prizes and big I, successes. I always tell my undergrads that I got a D plus in math in grad school. I mean, it's not great message to like compare yourself to other people, but I think it's, you're comparing yourself to other people, like just with, you know, to keep, keep a good perspective on things. Exactly. So like even really good people who you see as being sort of pretty perfect people in your field also had made mistakes and fa- have failures and things like yeah. that. So I think that I think that's it's important. really important. I mean, I think it's important and helpful to talk about that and to, you know, to have the courage to ask successful people about their failures. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Cause I think it can be really helpful for everybody and it happens, you know, it happens. Okay. I think the book you had was when breath becomes air. Oh yeah. So when breath becomes air by Paul Kalanithi, I don't know. I mean, if you've heard about it or people have probably heard about it because it's kind of like a media thing but he uh was a a neurosurgery resident at stanford and he was diagnosed with basically late stage lung cancer by the time he had gone gone to try to get treatment Um, and he was also really interested in writing he had gotten his master's in english literature i think at cambridge but like in the uk Mm -hmm. but he's he, Mm -hmm. he was kind of from the west coast um, and it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant book and it's really hard hitting and he doesn't really, you know, he gets sicker and sicker as he's writing it and you can see just how driven he is and, and all that and how him and his wife decide to have a child when they know he's really ill and all these things. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing. And it's a lot about science and medicine and life. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's truly an, an absolutely excellent mm. book. And it's, it's sad. I remember I was reading it on the train um, at the end, I was just like crying, oh. and I don't cry that much, so yeah, I was like, yeah. it was really just very touching. And um, and his wife uh, Lucy is also a physician, and so now she's sort of carrying on his legacy and and all that. But and his daughter, they have a daughter, so yeah, it's been on my very long books to read list for a while now. But yeah, maybe I'll, I, maybe I'll move it to the top. Um, yeah, I really love books that interweave science content and a personal story. You know, yeah. we talked about Lab Girl on our first episode. Right, I have read that. Similarly did a nice job of interweaving science and someone's life story, obviously in a very different way. Yeah, I, I listened to one of your other discussions about Lab Girl, and I did agree. I'm glad that you kind of brought up some points, things that were sort of like had me like, mm, you know, this is her yeah. story. It doesn't need to be everybody's because I think she has a very unique path. And yeah. 
and you know at some points you know i disagreed with her on things but that's say hey, that's life you know i don't exactly it's her experience and not mine but yeah no that was it, it, overall though that isn't quite an yeah. excellent also an excellent memoir and i think what's important about that is like you know there's not one narrative of of anybody of a woman of a woman scientist of a doctor who has cancer right like everyone's story is unique yeah. And so I think when there's few women writing stories about their lives as scientists, there's this tendency to be like, oh, this is a universal story. But really, it's Pope's story. Yeah, you know? no, totally. And other people should get to write their own stories. So, Shana, who's your shine theory pick for this episode? Uh, mine would be one of my friends and a mentor of mine, uh, Susan Perkins, who is a curator at the American Museum of Natural History, and she's also a professor at the Richard Gelder Graduate School, where I did my PhD. Um, and she is a microbiologist and a pan- uh, parasitologist. She is not a paleontologist, <laughs> uh, but she's always just been there for me, um, as mostly as a mentor and a friend and somebody who I really admire. She kind of there from day one for me during my grad school interviews you know it was a we had to interview sort of a grueling panel interview of five curators at the amnh and if anybody knows about amnh they kind of have a reputation for being pretty um kind of like tough when you give yeah, talks and stressful. ask questions yeah. they just have that reputation so i didn't yeah. really know that at the time but, um, <laughs> probably better that. that you didn't know that going in maybe yeah and um she was the only woman in, on the on the panel at the time and mm-hmm. I, you know sort of having her there was sort of like was was extra support was nice and over the years uh she has been always a great person for me to talk to and see and and watching her success i mean she's been extremely successful i saw her get her tenure and then promoted to a full curator since i've known her over the past um you know almost nine nine ish years now which is awesome and yeah and she's dealt with a lot of you know stuff working in a male dominated field and seeing how she handles it and has been really successful and sort of been able to rise above a lot of drama I guess Mm -hmm. to put it lightly um over the years has been you know to show that like actually yeah it can it can be done yeah I think having those mentors who are maybe not a ton older than you but older than you further along in their careers you can sort of see like oh this person has dealt with this bullshit and kept on going yeah exactly I too can deal with this bullshit and keep on going Okay, so do you want to tell me a little bit about um, your new outreach project? Sure, yes, I will. Um, so my new outreach project is that I got funded about a year ago now is called Dinosaur Doctors, and it is um, paleontology outreach at children's hospitals right now. So I've only been to one children's hospital in, in Edinburgh where I'm doing my, my fellowship right now, which has actually been a blessing because it's a good size hospital, but you know not too big, and but it's kind of small, which makes it easy for me to work with them. And I, you know, I had this idea. Um, I've had it for a while, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to go into hospitals and get paleontology to a population that doesn't normally get it? Because uh, I think, you know, I was kind of inspired by some of my favorite athletes or celebrities going to hospitals, and I was like, wow, wasn't that so cool? And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, kids got to meet, you know. Um, NBA stars yeah or like Victor Cruz yeah. all the giants you know and I because they right. do it all the time and so I was like oh wouldn't it be cool if they you know they get to meet them 
and in the hospital and I was like oh well you know they would probably like to see dinosaurs and stuff too like that would be fun that could be equally fun or sort of as fun um so you know why not do that and that's why I had to think well how how could I do that and like what are the logistics of it and what should I focus on which you know is not straightforward as educators you know we're, we're usually teaching undergraduates or advanced high school mm-hmm. students or grad students and we aren't focused on how to teach young younger kids which right, is right. tough how to, connect, how to connect with them too. just connect yeah because i'm not necessarily yeah. even trying to teach them anything because right, i'm not going right. to give you them just a... want to like get them excited and exposed and yeah yeah i'm not going to give them a quiz and yeah right, it's just right. to have to do something fun because they're in the hospital for many you know sometimes hours days and they're bored, so they're just sitting around, and their parents are kind of staring at them like, oh, they don't know, nothing to talk about right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's sometimes nice to have someone pop in. And they do a lot of other, you know, arts therapy is a thing. Um, play therapy is a big thing in hospitals where they do painting and drawing and do all sorts of fun stuff. But, you know, it's nice to sometimes have outside people come in and do, like, either a little show or kind of show them something. And the hospital here is called Sick Kids. Um, children's hospital and it has a lot of good outreach like that people come in they have a great charity called the friends foundation associated with them and they were uh, really eager to work with me when I approached them with the idea which was great you know they weren't kind of skeptical or anything they were like wow yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah and I'm not amazing at interacting with children or I didn't think I mean I wasn't I mean I'm getting better (laughs) at it I've gotten better at it. I've actually, not to like, not to brag, I am an only child and I have very little experience and I did not babysit, very little experience with children. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and I never usually used to be like, I don't know what to say. Like, and I would say like really inappropriately long words yeah. around them and be like, oh, this has gone wrong, you know. But um, <laughs> since, I, since I started doing this and, you know, probably after grad school and teaching more and things, the, the hospital staff or like, you know, the charity staff, they're like, wow, you're really good at working with kids. And I'm like, Never thought I'd hear that. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. it's actually nice because I think I think a lot of teaching is you know they say I was like well what's good about it and they say well you know you never say you're wrong and you always just like mm-hmm. you know kind of deflect mm-hmm. if they say something ridiculous mm-hmm. like you just go oh yeah okay you know that's interesting yeah yeah which I think a lot of probably scientists would have a hard, some scientists might have a hard time doing that if they yeah not. I spend a lot of time deflecting in my intro classes especially yeah because you don't want to be like you're wrong yeah, you, necessarily right intro class i mean once they yeah believe me I do, if you're trying to get students interested in the topic like the worst thing to do is be like no totally and i mean know. i do believe that yeah. some students need to be told they're wrong more <laughs> the farther well, they go in the process that is also true so i don't want to be like i'm not like the softy it's like yeah everybody's right but you know especially when they're not, when, when they're eight years old i'm not yeah. gonna yell at them so Right. And, you know, and actually, I've been really impressed. Some, some of the kids are so smart. Or they just know so much about dinosaurs already, and they crack me up. Like how how smart yeah. they are, and all the yeah. things they know. And some of them don't Whipping know anything. Out, like, and species names. And, yeah, yeah, some of them don't know anything, and and they want to know more. Sometimes they act like they're not interested, and then they see me take the things out, and they kind of like creep over to the table and go, Ooh, <laughs> like, what's that? You know. <laughs> So it's it's funny. And there's, you know, girls and boys both interested. You know, I don't see any real differences between sometimes I'll have all boys and the girl. You know, there'll be a girl playing at the dollhouse, but then she'll see me doing something. She'll come over and look. And, yeah. you know, just maybe she hasn't really seen it before. Maybe maybe her parents or, you know, her caretakers haven't shown her anything and she doesn't, just doesn't mm-hmm. know about it. So 
mm-hmm. you know, hopefully mm-hmm. just distracting them for a little bit. And I give them, I think a, a critical aspect of this type of outreach is like leaving them with something. Cause you don't want to like show them yeah. all these cool toys and then take and then, them like, away. Take them all away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was, I've been funded by the paleontological association and that grant has made me able to buy sort of these backpacks with the logo on it and some oh, booklets cool. that I made up that was actually made up with the help of the artist at the at the Friends Foundation who did all this cool art for me for free, like little dinosaur fact pages, um, just to print up and put in the backpack with some some stickers and fun stuff. So they, you know, they have a little things to like when I leave they can kinda of look through it and play with it. And, right. And have right. the backpack is actually really nice, like a fabric backpack for them to carry around. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, as we as scientists have especially when we're you know, we're paleontologists, have this gift that we can really um give to people and entertain in them in a way that that really yeah. cheers them up, which I think is a special yeah. a special thing that you should exploit more. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it's, yeah, we do have an advantage in that people, especially kids, are naturally interested in dinosaurs and ancient animals and things like that. Um, So it's easier for us to connect with them and engage with them than it would be for people in other fields. Oh, no, yeah, totally, totally, 100%. Another question that I had for you, which, like, wasn't on the survey, and you can let me know if you want to talk about it or not, um, was, like, what your experience has been, like, writing for Forbes um, in general, and if you've had any experiences specifically as a woman writing online about science that have been either positive or negative. Hmm. Um, well, writing for Forbes has been has been really great. I think it's been one of the biggest. Um, what's the word? I'm, it's it's been one of the biggest pluses in my mm-hmm. career so far. After even after all the things I've done, it's definitely been one of the the finest and the best experiences I've ever had. Just because. I'm able to really communicate science and get people interested more so than just a peer-reviewed article. Um, and going forward, you know, it's helped me sort of reassess, well, what do I want to do yeah. for yeah. career? And I'm not necessarily sure if I'm going to go academic or, or something more communications-based because I do like yeah. it so much. And I've gotten such a positive response. I'm like, hmm, maybe I kind of like, you know, between the dinosaur doctors outreach and writing, maybe I kind of like this is more my my path at the moment, you know, as opposed to doing something mm-hmm. more traditional. So it's kind of helped me refocus that, which is really nice. Um, a woman writing online, I feel like, yeah, a lot of the people, I mean, I would say 99% of the people that argue with me over comments are men, obviously. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but I feel like they, they yeah. do that to everyone. Yeah. I don't know if it's just me. I think and only... Do, and does it happen a lot? People, like, argue with you about stuff in your pieces frequently? Yeah, some of them pick it picked up. It's just yeah. usually really yeah. certain ones that if they involve something to do with creationism, evolution, certain evolutionary right. things really get people's like the creationists get a hold of it, and then they start to be like, wah, wah, wah. yeah. Um, I kind of just ignore it. I don't actually. It's not my not a hundred percent my job to like spend hours replying to comments, and I'm especially not doing it if they're just arguing about stupid thing. In my opinion, stupid things yeah. like yeah. this mosquito looks like a mosquito today, therefore evolution is fake. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get that. That's, like, one of the most common, I think, the most common well, that's, comments. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's interesting to think about that from an educational perspective. Like, how would you explain to someone or teach a student why that's not the case? The one that I remember the most, this is a funny sort of a music story. Um, I did one that was something like the six coolest um, animals trapped mm-hmm. in amber. You know, and they're all, most mm-hmm. of them are pretty old. And... 
they look very no, mostly insects, and they look very similar to the modern insect right, that I'm right. talking about. Like ant looks pretty similar to an ant. Mosquito looks pretty similar to mosquito. And so the ants were from um, a friend's research, from a friend from grad school. And the ants in the amber are actually really different than ants that are living today, like morphologically. I mean, I know this because right. I know him. And but if I was just looking at it, I'd be like, ah, oh, sort of looks like an ant. Um, but they have like crazy horns and they have a like, completely different morphology that shows that they're definitely really early ants. And if you're an ant person, you're like, oh, it's so clear that this is totally different. But people on the internet do not believe that. And <laughs> they're like, oh, this ant, this ant looks just like an ant now. Evolution's not real. And my favorite one with that one was this ant. My, I showed my four-year-old this ant and he said it was an ant, a four-year-old even knows that evolution's <laughs> fake. It was like that was the logic that they were using. <laughs> and you're like, um, and you know, yeah. I don't even know where to start with that. Right, so I kind of right, just right, right. don't, you know, cause that's just like, it's a straw man argument that it's really difficult to disprove. And so my friend who's research that I profiled, um, like used, like commented under a pseudonym and really tried nicely to explain mm-hmm. it. And the person was just like respond, like a really long, he gave a really long response. And the person just responded like, yeah, not buying it. Like, interesting so it's like i was like to my friend i was like you i mean i appreciate that you did that but like you really can't i mean sometimes you just can't argue because they're not well and they don't it. want to be convinced um, right no no i mean it, nothing yeah. you can say yeah. is going to convince yeah. convince them and yeah i think that as that's just sort of an, a thing you get when you write online i mean to think about it i, I think what i write i am careful about what i write probably more so than some other people because they don't want to be like labeled a certain way or want like to anger people. You mean in terms of just like the content and your writing style? Yeah, and you have to just yeah have to be careful. Like if there's something that I disagree with, you know, and I want to write yeah. about it, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm careful not to like be confrontational because I sort of did one that was like act- that I didn't really mean to be more confrontational. I did get a lot of like weirdly nasty yeah, so comments. So like you have to be a little bit more positive um, and neutral. Yeah. Yeah, to neutral, which, like, I don't really right. want to be sometimes. Right. Like, I do want to call people out, but I think this kind of goes back to a lot of the things that are happening now, um, like, about speaking out about things that you've seen or things that have happened. Like, I mean, I'm not ready to do that right now. <laughs> I know. I, f- I find it really frustrating. It's, it's interesting talking to you because it feels like the longer we've talked about this, the more you've realized how being a woman has affected your writing. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think this True. happens to me too because we internalize these things. We don't think about them consciously. Right? But then the more you dig into it, you're like, actually, yeah, totally. hmm, now that I think about it, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I won't say, like, I, nothing extreme has happened to me, and yeah, I do get, but but I probably do try to be more careful. Well, see, that I'm, like, worried about being labeled argumentative, which is probably somewhat of a female mm-hmm. worry as a you know as opposed to a male worry about what they say i mean there are also journalistic standards i have right, to adhere right. to sure like Whatever i can't just say want. start like yeah. running my mouth off yeah. and saying anything like the one piece that i wrote about the um there was a four-legged snake that whole four-legged snake fossil and like if that was collected legally or exported legally and all that and that sort of ended up implicating one certain person mm. and I got angry mails mm-hmm. about that person but nobody really <laughs> likes that person that much so it was fine um, but you know if you want to go off uh, on if there's something you want to say about someone that may, might be a little bit of like yeah, a bigger yeah, fish yeah, yeah, yeah. than that people yeah. really do like it's a little bit yeah it's a little bit worrisome I, I mean so I try to be 
kind of like yeah. cool about it, not not too attacking and anything. And I just wonder if yeah, if that's something that, um, you know, male writer in my position would would be equally as concerned about. Yeah. People really do like opinion pieces, though, which is like you're you know you, you realize that when you write more personally, people like it more. So you're like, oh, I guess people actually do like yeah to read the opinion of an expert. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that with the podcast. Just like the things that people yeah. have specifically um, reached out to me about have been stuff that's been the most personal, either for me or for a guest, really? which has been really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love hearing personal stories. Like, I'd really <laughs> like to hear, you know, dating and relationships when you're like oh academic, God, female yes. academic and things like that, you know. I don't think I have any really useful advice in that arena, <laughs> but you know, things like that. Like I'd listen to a podcast on that, but yeah, it's hard to get people to talk about that. <laughs> I know. I've definitely thought about doing that, but it can be tricky. It can be sensitive. And um, I mean, I can certainly talk, could talk about my own experiences. Here's an example. You know, I definitely dated another paleontologist very early on in grad school who was basically like, we can't date because we're never going to get a job. Yes, exactly. Place. Yeah, I was like, and like broke up with me. <laughs> I did. I mean, I, yeah, I've not. Yeah, obviously dated other side. I mean, most you know people I've dated have been scientists too. And a lot of it, yeah, it comes down to like who's moving where, who's getting the job, I know. who's got the most flexibility, who's willing to make a, a sacrifice, kind of compromise, and uh, yeah. yeah, and so that I think that probably comes in more so than other fields, just because. You know, if you're if you're a lawyer, two lawyers, you could find jobs in the same place. Easy. It's not an issue. Mm-hmm. And you could go almost yep. anywhere you want. Yeah. My friends who are nurses, I like yeah. hate them. I'm like, you can get a job anywhere like, immediately. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like nurses and doctors. I mean, these are all great careers that I probably should have picked if I wanted more yeah. flexibility <laughs> uh, with my. Well, this is the thing. Like, I think like this is a conversation I think worth having. Like, no, when I started grad school, even when I was applying to grad school, no one said to me. Like, look, Phoebe, you're not going to have a lot of choices about where Oh, nobody you live. said that at all. Nobody says that. No. I. You know, and I try to talk to my students who think are thinking of going to grad school, like my undergrads. I try to have some sort of a conversation about it with them just so that they have an idea of what they're getting into and how it's going to impact their lives, not just their careers. I, I totally agree. And if I ever end up, ha- that's why part of the reason why I was discussing, oh, maybe I'll, I'll do more writing as, as a career at least for yeah. a little while is yeah. because I want more flexibility in my in where I'm going to totally. live and what I'm going to do because you know I moved abroad mm-hmm. and that is I know another thing I guess that's important to talk about is really tough um, especially when you're I'm not gonna say alone but I came here by myself you know I didn't right. I was not married or anything so I didn't have you know someone to come with me and maybe it'd be a little bit easier but you have to consider these things like if you want to chase opportunities sometimes it either comes it comes at the expense of relationships or not at the expense not like you have yeah. to end it but or maybe you know I see people someone else who's doing my fellowship who I know um, is separated from his wife now and she's in the US and he's in the UK they're separated by distance they're still together you know yes. so yes. so that's like yeah that's so common that's so, so common. hard too I had friends who were on opposite coasts in the US for six years and that's like. I mean, I say I don't want to live like that, but I never know, like, what my future will hold. Maybe it will, but I would just really not want that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really tough, and I think that has to be taken into account when you think, am I going to be an academic? Like, what's at what cost? You know, thinking about how I let people down or will I? And I think I used to be more worried about that than I am now. I'm kind of just like, look, like, people want me to be happy, 
And, you know, and some right. of my mentors have actually been very supportive of, of when I've said, you know, here are some other things I'm thinking about. And they're just like, yeah, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. try it, try it, try whatever you want. And I thought like, yep. wow, I'm surprised that they that's awesome. were like that supportive. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's, and if people are not, then, you know, they're, they don't really have your best interests and that, in and mind. That, 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 yeah. What difference does it make? Like you'll be, yes. you'll be having right. a great job in a city that you like and doing the thing you That's really right. like, hopefully. And That's then, right. like, what they'll and they'll be working eighty hours a week. Right? Yeah, and they'll be at the bar being like, "Oh, well, remember Shana was going to be a great paleontologist, <laughs> but then she quit. Like, who cares? Like, you know, like that's <laughs> you know, telling telling other grad it. students to like try to scare them. I don't know. Like, I I mean, what's the worst? That's like in my mind the worst thing that could yeah. happen. And I don't right. want people talking right. behind my back in a negative way. Of right. course, but, but if that's what they're gonna do, but, right? You'll be living your yeah. life, and you won't give a shit. Yeah, I'll be so. like, wow, I'm having fun. Yeah. I don't really care. You know. That's right. Look at my dinosaur doctor empire, everybody. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show and chatting with us. It was really fun to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great. And I will see you on the Twitter sphere. Always on Twitter. Probably too much on Twitter. But Twitter, <laughs> know, but, right? but Twitter is useful, people. It's gotten me a lot of great things. Good friends. Grants. Lots of cool experiences. So thanks, Twitter. You can find us all over the internet. Head to femaleofthespecies.org to learn more about the podcast and get info on each episode. You can find us on Twitter at Female of the SP. Facebook, just search for Female of the Species. And you can email us at femaleofthesp at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Female of the Species on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Female of the Species is produced by Tamar Avishai with help from Anna Saldinger. <laughs>